Welcome back to the Balancing Act podcast. I'm Andy Tempty. On the Balancing Act, we talk to business leaders and industry experts to explore the balancing acts we play in our professional lives and learn about the events that put rocket boosters behind their career success. Today, we have Casey Lankow joining us. Casey is a senior leadership development business partner at Amazon, is an adjunct assistant professor at St. Mary's University in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and was co-founder and chief psychology officer, it's the first time I've said that on the show, at personality assessment company, A Deeper Way. As a reminder, this is our eighth and final episode in our mini-series on corporate culture, and what a way to end the series with a deep dive into the impact of corporate psychology on culture. As a reminder for our listeners, Casey's comments and opinions are his own and may not reflect those of his current or former employers. Welcome to the show, Casey. Thank you so much. I'm so looking forward to our conversation. Um, I'm joining, I used to be a, a Midwestern. I've recently relocated to Seattle, so it's uh, fun to connect with my Midwestern roots. <laughs> Yes, we are sitting right here today on the banks of the Mississippi River, which uh, was common to uh, both of the towns that we were in. Uh, Casey, uh, before we get started, I ask all of my guests this question. Please tell our listeners your story. I gladly will. I, I actually enjoy telling my story. And there, there was a time when I didn't. Um, and... <laughs> There, because I made a huge pivot in life and, and going through that pivot, it took me a while to kind of get comfortable with it. Um, so um, my undergrad degree is in music education. And so for the first four years uh, out of undergrad, I was a high school choir director in northern Minnesota. Um, totally loved it. It was kind of my first entree into official leadership. Uh, that's really what that job really comes down to. But after a few years, um, I was starting to get a little burnt out wondering if this is really what I was going to be doing for the rest of my life or if I wanted to. But the challenge there was all the feedback that I had always gotten was, was literally like, oh, you're so lucky you figured out what you're supposed to be doing. <laughs> and so I, I felt all of this external pressure. Well, geez, I'm going to disappoint all of these people if, if I make a, a career change. Um, and one day I was standing outside my office talking with the orchestra director and she was saying, you know, there's constantly kids coming in and out of your office have you ever thought about being a guidance counselor? And I said, no, but I think I will. And so um, literally just like that, I, I went and started looking up, what does that mean? What does that entail? And very quickly in sort of doing that research, I realized, you know what? I think I want to go all in and actually become a psychologist. Um, and what I actually did was email one of my mentors who still remains a mentor, one of my college professors and said, you know, this is kind of what I'm thinking. Basically, how disappointed would you be if I left the profession? And he said, the most important thing to me is that you are content and happy and fulfilled. And so I felt like I was released uh, to, to do that. Now, looking back, of course, I didn't need permission from anyone but myself, but it, it felt important at the time. Um, transition into starting graduate school for psychology very quickly in that program, I met my now former business partner, and, and we started 
uh, a consulting firm really focused a lot on assessment um, applied to the world of work. And so over the course of the 15 years that we were working together while we were doing our doctorates in psychology, which was a little ridiculous to be doing all that at the same time, uh, we developed a lot of assessment tools. We developed a coaching practice. Um, we kind of expanded our consulting to work with all kinds of inter- industries around leadership development, culture issues, developed a variety of frameworks. Um, and then, as I mentioned, after about 15 years, I thought, you know, this consulting thing is maybe maybe I've done this uh, and I'm ready for, for a new challenge and decided I was ready to move internal. You know, I really hadn't spent much time internal uh, in an organization. And so I ended up moving to one of the biggest companies in the world, um, (laughs) making quite a change. Uh, And so now I'm at Amazon um, doing executive development here, basically doing all those things that I did in the consulting practice uh, just inside um, a small little company. (laughs) Very cool. So. Uh, other than the uh, nudge from the orchestra director or the permission that you got from uh, your your mentor, is there an event in your life that just put rocket boosters uh, was a key accelerant to your career? You know, Andy, it's in some ways it's hard to pick one because um, you know it seems like they're always sort of happening. But when you ask that. The, the first moment that really came up for me, so I'm just going to trust that, um, it actually happened a few years into um, our consulting work. And we, uh, Tim, my colleague, um, I don't remember how he came about it, but he, he found a book that he really was impacted by. And so I read it too. And the book was called Leadership and Self-Deception. Um, and that book had a profound impact on both of us. And I think, speaking for myself, what it did for me, so my, my sort of graduate work is in clinical counseling psychology. It's not in formal IO psychology. Um, but it, that book helped me really start to understand the value of my clinical and counseling education to the world of work, not because that book was explicitly about it, but because that book really highlighted, um, you know, at the end of the day, we're responsible for how we show up, right? <laughs> and if, if yeah. particularly if we're people who have the most power in the room, we are absolutely responsible for how we show up, what energy we're putting into the world, and and owning our stuff, if you will, um, and. That book helped me realize, oh, I, I really understand that on a deeply psychological level. And if we can apply that depth of understanding to help leaders understand themselves and sort of those psychological mechanisms, we can really have a big impact. Um, and so I, I think back to that moment of us both reading that book going, oh my gosh, it all just sort of coalesced around, okay, we know what we're supposed to be doing now. Um, and I still recommend that book to my coaching clients. 
Yeah, there are uh, so many leaders out there that need to grow a whole host of human skills, uh, especially those of uh, self-awareness, uh, being able to uh, sh- uh, control them themselves, be in, uh, uh, you know, not not point fingers at uh, everybody else because uh, because they're having a, a bad day or, or not showing up. We, we, right. we gotta, we have to own it. So th- thank you so much for that. Um, you know, this, uh, mini series is about corporate culture. I'd really like to get your definition of what corporate culture means to you. Yeah. I, I haven't listened to all the episodes in this series. So I don't know if anyone has brought this up yet, but you know, I think one of the most commonly referenced uh, descriptions, if you will, is just that simple phrase. Um, I think it came out in the 80s, which is culture is how we do things around here, right? How we get things done, sort of that idea of how we work. Um, and it, it, it's simple, but but I think if you really think about all of the the ways, whether it's theorists or clinicians or consultants, talk about culture with all the complex models and frameworks, I I think it really does boil down to how we do things around here. Um, Now, of course, the next question then is, well, what are the elements that determine, you know, how we do things around here? And so I think about it in two ways. One is how we do things around here, not an original thought, but then it's also sort of the constellation of all of the humans and how they show up every day that really determines what that looks like. And, and I think sometimes where we go wrong is we think of it as just a top-down thing, which is leadership sets the culture and that's what it is. But the reality is what the culture actually it's, is sits somewhere between sort of what is stated and then what actually is lived in the behaviors of everyone that's part of that organization, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm a huge fan of propagating this uh, notion that culture comes from the top down, that uh, as the chief executive, you set the tone, uh, but you're absolutely right that there's, there are all sorts of influences that come uh, from the middle uh, of the organization, from the quote unquote bottom of the organization that create a bunch of subcultures, informal uh, 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 cultures that if not, you know, if not understood, uh, can uh, subvert the in, the intentions of the C-suite uh, just yeah. like that. So, yeah, it, it makes me think of um, uh, Edgar Schein's, uh, I think, often cited model of how to think about culture. Sort of these three levels at the top. He thinks of it as a sort of a, a triangle, if you will. At the top, um, I'm forgetting all of his technical language, but basically the things we can see, right? Um, I think artifacts. Then in the middle, it's sort of this, this stated piece, right? Like what we say it is the, the posters we hang on the wall that tell us what our values are, right? (laughs) Um, But then the bottom layer and the one that's the most powerful 
are the underlying and unconscious assumptions that everyone in that organization is living with. And that's really the driver of what we experience uh, as the culture. And, you know, back when I was consulting, we would go into an organization for sort of that first discovery meeting and I would see all the, the, the culture things on the walls, you know, you know, we believe in integrity and all of these things. And, and I would always say very bluntly, you know, after we start doing our assessment, I might tell you to take those things down. Because I think one of the worst things that can happen, actually, is when leaders are talking about these things and making these statements, but no one is actually living them. Uh, and, and that's a very dangerous spot to get into when you're talking about your culture. Yeah, that just absolutely breeds uh, disengagement when the when the uh, when when the the vision is not the reality yes. uh, on on the ground and in so you know this this uh, this applies in so many different uh, places. But uh, Casey, let's talk uh, balancing acts. It's the name of the show, and I think this is a nice segue. A uh, little thought experiment. You're a corporate decision maker, probably the chief human resources officer, and you're in charge of improving an existing organization's cultural landscape. What's the most, instead of ripping down all the posters that you've got <laughs> that, say, that say something that really isn't reality, what's the most important balancing act that you have to consider before diving into that cultural rehabilitation, if you will? Yeah, it's, it's such an important question. Um, I think a couple things come up for me. Um, and then if I have to pick one, you can edit which one you like. Um, but I'm, um, the very first thing that comes up, I think, is a, a sort of a somewhat hot topic these days around culture. And I think it stems from years back. I don't know exactly when this all started to shift, but um, particularly in, in the selection of hiring phase, there was a period where culture fit was a really big deal, right? We would be asking the question, we mean in any company, okay, how does this person fit in our culture, or perhaps even worse, do they fit in our culture? You know, basically meaning, you know, can they act and behave the way that we have established is the way that you should act and behave to get things done uh, at our company? And I think, and again, I don't really know the exact timeline, but within the last few years, there's been a significant shift, I think, in the right direction away from culture fit because I think the question started to come about, well, the, the data is very clear that companies that have greater degrees of diversity tend to be more successful, right? And that's because we have more ideas. We have a better representation of lived experience. And we have people challenging our assumptions and, and helping us understand our blind spots, all those things. And so there's been this shift to culture Add, which is, okay, what is this person maybe bringing to the table that we don't have and can sort of add value in new ways? All that long piece to say is, I think something that should be constantly scrutinized from a leadership perspective uh, is culture. And it is, are we evolving in the way that we need to 
to adapt to an evolving world, to changing markets in terms of both customers and employees? Um, or are we, you know, kind of staying what we think is true to who we are? But but I think to answer that, we have to be honest uh, with the idea that culture this very abstract concept that we're talking about, it is and should be a dynamic thing. Right? Yeah, I don't think it should ever just be this thing that never changes. I think that's where you really get into right. trouble. And so the balance there is, well, what are the things that we do want to try to hang on to? Because they really are part of sort of our DNA as a company. And it sort of helps us know where our North Star is. But then also, what are the things that we do need to realize aren't serving us anymore? Uh, and I think that's a difficult thing. The, the final comment I'll make on that then is the, the difficult balance, too, is change is hard. Period. It just is. Um, I don't think I've ever seen a company that's really good at it. <laughs> um and I, and I think it's in part, even though most have the best intentions, it's not about having bad intentions, but I think it comes down to missing that at the core of all of this, it's just humans. And the truth in that is that humans are messy and, and we have so many unconscious drivers that are impacting how we think and how we behave. and. When you throw change into that mix, all of those things get even stronger. And um, yeah, I, I'll leave it at that. Yeah, I, Casey, I'm smiling. Uh, and for our listeners, uh, Casey has uh, not read my second book, um, but I, I'm, I'm smiling because uh, chapter chapter four of the book is on culture and chapter five is on change management. And I, I strongly recommend to all business leaders to incorporate uh, conversations about culture and change management into their annual strategic planning or long-range planning cycle to weave those things into one's strategic plan and not treat them as uh, things that we do outside of that uh, of that process. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's such a good call out. And you know, I think particularly around strategic conversations, constantly bringing back up how culture fits in, in, in any way is, is pretty essential, um, to, to getting it right. Yeah. So, uh, Casey, you're a, you're a former podcaster, so you know the drill. We're going to take a short commercial break here and we'll be right back with Casey Lanko. Hi, I'm Andy Tempty. Over the past 35 years, I've learned a lot about business leadership and I'd like to share those lessons with you. Ask yourself, how do I create an effective, sustainable management operating system? How do I design smooth workflows to better serve the customer? How do I balance organizational trust with accountability the Balanced Business describes the practical, step-by-step -step process you need to answer these questions. Order your copy today, wherever books are sold. 
And we're back with Casey Lankow talking about the world of psychology and corporate culture. Uh, Casey, I'm interested in your background in the world of personality assessments. Uh, you have the ear of the same chief human resources officer that you had before we cut to the break. Uh, how can they utilize personality assessments to influence improvements in corporate culture that they're looking to make? Yeah, I think it's a huge piece of the of the puzzle. Um, that's maybe not even a big enough statement, actually. If we go back to where we started the conversation, which was sort of what is culture? How do we define that? We talked about those two elements of, well, it's how we get things done here. Um, but that's really made up of all of the individuals uh, that show up every day. And to me, I've always thought this, unless you have a very clear understanding of all of those individuals, what they're all bringing to the table, both in terms of strengths as well as potential opportunities and derailers and barriers, it's really hard to actually know what is making up your culture. Like I said, it's not about the posters you put on the wall that say this is who we are and this is what we do. It's really about how those individual people are behaving. And, and personality, uh, I think it's a really important construct to be measuring because it really gives you deeper insight into what are some of the underlying drivers of behavior. Um, and I think, you know, in psychology, we talk about individual differences, right? So this person, how they look compared to this one. But you can also roll that up to get a team and group perspective, right? Um, and so, you know, really having a sense of those individual characteristics and traits on varying levels from individuals to teams to groups to organizations can really help inform in terms of predicting, well, how might this play out? And where are we going to maybe have issues in terms of maybe we don't, just to use a very simple example, right? Everyone's familiar with extroversion, introversion. Well, let's say for whatever reason, um, you know, 75% of one team is all extroverts. There's positives and issues that come with that, right? And so we can, we can guess about it or we can use assessments to actually have data and understand it on a deeper. Right, right. So uh, continuing this uh, question, let's talk about the risks of uh, personality assessments. Uh, what are a few of the risks that that same chief human resources officer needs to be mindful of when deploying uh, personality assessments for this purpose? Yeah, I think a couple of things. One, uh, I'll try to not be too obnoxious about this, but there's a lot of tools out there uh, let's just be blunt about it, that are trash. <laughs> and so, yeah. um, you know, ev everyone thinks they can can just make a personality assessment by putting a bunch of questions together. Um, but, but it really needs to have a lot of rigor behind, you know, the reliability, the validity, um, which directly impacts whether it's even a legal tool to be used in the workplace, right? So there, there's legal risks. So one is make sure you're using an appropriate tool. And there's plenty of experts out there that can help, um, you know, select the appropriate tool. After that then, uh, goes to 
I think it's chapter five in your book, <laughs> which is this in, this absolutely needs a change management process, meaning you have to communicate very thoroughly and clearly about why we're doing this, right? Because for whatever reason, um, the way that we're sort of socialized around assessments and then particularly personality assessments, it's scary for a lot of people, right? And what's scary about it is they are, can be misused. Um, and there's, you know, a layer of shame that often gets brought in for all kinds of different reasons. And so to really make sure you have a very thorough communication plan and strategy to not ignore those things, but actually just take them head on and, and be very open about why we're doing this. And I think it's another good, um, uh, opportunity for leaders, the people with the most power to lead by example, right? Show their reports, like show, let them see that being transparent about this, there's no risks, right? No one's going to get in trouble for your personality. Right. You can't have a wrong personality. Um, this is going to help us understand each other better. Um, and, and so I think those two pieces are pretty important to making sure that it goes well, because there are risks associated if those things aren't in place. Well, I, I love uh, where you finished, which was the both reminder and encouragement of senior leaders to take down the veil that yes. uh, typically surrounds the C-suite and uh, creates these mythologies about who the leaders are. Uh, we're all human beings, uh, using your terminology from the top of the show, we're all messy yes. <laughs> with a capital M yes. and, uh, and, you know, leaders, especially senior leaders, they don't come wrapped in, uh, you know, in plastic, uh, and you take them out of the box and they're perfect. Uh, anything, uh, nothing could be further uh, yeah. from the truth. So Thank you so much for that. Uh, Casey, I, I would like to pick your brain on behalf of our listeners here because you're, you're, you're so uh, knowledgeable on the suspect uh, on this subject. Uh, there's no shortage of armchair psychologists that are out there. I've played one myself at times <laughs> uh, to my own, to my own detriment. Uh to help our listeners separate the wheat from the chaff in the space who do you follow? Who are some mm. of the thought leaders that you look up to in the corporate psychology space? Oh, this is a fun question. Um, we could certainly geek out for a while. I'll, I'll try to to rein it in because um, there's really so many people that I, I look to for their thought leadership and their research. Um, a few that that come up for me, and they tend to be related to sort of my particular areas of interests. Um, so uh, Susan David. Um, I think her latest book is called Emotional Agility. Um, she does a lot of great work about sort of emotions in the workplace, which is an important topic that we often avoid and just say we shouldn't have them, but we're humans and so we do. <laughs> and, and so how can we leverage them? Um, of course, you know, I'm a human and, and I'm a psychologist and I work in the world of work. So I follow Adam Grant, um, who's always doing great research and, and uh, offers compelling um, sort of pithy nuggets that that people I think can can really take away. And one of the things that I always can 
uh, trust with Adam Grant is that anything he says is going to be data driven, right? So it's not yeah. it's not guru, but it's definitely um, based in science. A couple others, um, David Rock. Um, I think uh, he. I don't know if he founded, but he leads the this a neuro leadership institute, something like that. Um, the scarf model, if you're familiar with that, is something that he created, which is basically looking at in the neurological research around um, motivators, uh, particularly in the world of work. That's very much related to change management, right? So if someone sees that something is changing, immediately our brain goes, "Okay, what does this mean for me?" What does this have to do with my sense of autonomy? Things of that nature. So I, I like the work of, of David Rock. Um, handful of folks that come up for me there, at least. Well, thank you so much uh, for sharing that. Uh, there was one on the list that I was not aware of, and uh, I'm going to be looking up uh, David Rock after this. Cool. Uh, after this show. So, uh, Casey, let's have a little fun uh Two lightning round questions for you. Uh, I, I give uh, almost all my guests access to a time machine that you can send in a message to an earlier version of Casey Lankow. What's the message and what's the previous version of yourself that you send it to? You know, I, I actually think I'm going to call back to how I started my story. And um, I was really hard on myself for leaving teaching and in the music world. And in, in fact, it took me a lot of years to be able to comfortably answer the question, what do you do? <laughs> because I, I didn't want to not acknowledge that part of me, uh, for whatever reason. And, and so I think, um, you know, the, the message would be probably twofold. One, it's okay to let go of things and just be where you are in the moment. Um, but then also, and this is the balancing act, um, at the same time, you also don't have to completely cut off something that was important to you too, right? So right. since then, I've learned how to actually bring back that part of myself as a musician, as a teacher, to help inform how I'm working today to be a more integrated self. So, you know, be easy on yourself for making a pivot and you can carry this with you. You don't have to totally let go of it. That's fantastic advice. Uh, I talk a l quite a bit about multidimensionality and the yeah. importance of having uh, different vectors of yourself that you can tap into at different times. So I, I love the fact we're both musicians and I'm uh, really happy to hear that you're bringing that back into uh, who you are today uh, to create this more rich multidimensional uh, version of, of you. So, um, yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say when, when I started doing that, Andy, I became a better psychologist. Right. Right. Yep. Yeah. That, that is the point of, uh, multidimensionality. It's not to spread yourself so thin that you're the jack of all trades and master of none. That's right. not the point. And that's what I think some people get from, Oh, you want me to be multidimensional? Like, no, I want you to have a, a, a solid balance between work and life. And the life part of the equation is, enjoying uh hobbies nurturing yeah. building skill build, building other skills 
and those skills are going to have an impact on how you show up uh, at work, even if they don't directly apply uh, to who you are. Uh, so Casey, we're all works in progress. Uh, what are you focused on right now in your personal journey of growth? Yeah, I think, um, well, the, the thing that I'm is always sort of at the center, uh, and not to get too deep here as we're winding down, but you know, as humans, we all have insecurities. We always will. We won't ever be able to rid ourselves of those. What if, uh, doubts that creep up, um, particularly in, in challenging moments. Um, but I, I've for a long time now been intentional to, to acknowledge them and be aware of them. And the more I do that, the less power they have. And so I'm always looking for those moments of discomfort where I can experience some more insecurities and be able to name them and realize that they don't have to have power over me. But I think in terms also just of in general leadership and, and working, um, something that's been on my mind a lot is this idea of how can I be a force multiplier, right? So, yeah. you know, uh, I can only do so much myself uh, throughout the day. There's only so many hours. I can only be so many places at once. So as I almost enter this new phase of my professional life, how can I sort of scale the knowledge that I've been able to acquire um, to to have a, even a broader impact. Um, and, and so that's fun to think about. So when's your book coming out? <laughs> it's always one sort of in, in flux for sure. Um, stay tuned. <laughs> Very good. Uh, well, Casey, it has been uh, fantastic to chat with you today. Uh, I'm sure that our listeners learned a lot. So I would like to personally thank you for all your contributions to the show. Well, thank you so much. It was a wonderful conversation. I, I could talk about this stuff for days on end. So I uh, appreciate uh, the opportunity. Very good. Well, my name is Andy Tempty. This is the Balancing Act podcast. You can find us on all the major streaming services. Please like, subscribe, rate, and most importantly, share this public good with your friends, especially this very impactful episode with Casey Lankow. Uh, this episode was produced by the venerable Nick Tempty, and we'll see you next time.